Folks, have you checked out the Irish History Podcast shop recently? Right now, I have a sale of 30% off everything when you use the code SALE30. So go to irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop and get 30% off everything when you use the discount code SALE30. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. To this day, Oliver Cromwell remains one of the most reviled figures in Irish history. Now, to those unfamiliar with our past, this must seem a little strange. Usually, as time passes, intense attitudes towards historical figures tend to mellow somewhat. Genghis Khan is a good example of this. People often talk about his achievements, even though he ranks among the worst people in history in terms of causing misery, death and destruction. However, Cromwell appears to be defying this trend, in Ireland at least. He died over 350 years ago and there's no sign of attitudes towards Cromwell changing. Now in this podcast I explore Oliver Cromwell and his legacy in Ireland by visiting the ruins of Dunhill Castle outside Waterford. Today it's a forlorn ruin as you're about to hear but it is somewhere I think that goes a long way to explaining why Cromwell is so reviled in this country. Now before we get going I'm going to introduce myself. My name is Finn Dwyer and this is the Irish History Podcast. As you heard at the top of the show, I've just launched a new tour and I want to share a little bit more about it with you because you're going to love the tour. It takes you through some of the most enthralling chapters in Irish history, in the very streets where they took place. We'll start back at the 10th century looking at the Vikings who founded Waterford. Then we follow the story through the Normans, Cromwell himself, whose armies besieged Waterford on two occasions. Then the story continues through the centuries, looking at how the Great Hunger and the Revolutionary Era affected life in Waterford. It's basically half a live podcast and half walking tour, because it's not just about rambling through the streets, but at the start you also get a wireless listening device, which plays sound effects from the past that allow you to completely immerse yourself in the story of Irish history over the last thousand years. You can get your tickets today at irishhistorypodcast.ie that's irishhistorypodcast.ie I also have the direct link in the show notes below as well Finally, the show is recorded as I say in Dunhill Castle if you want to find out more about the castle I've posted a video I recorded which guides you through the runes for supporters on Patreon that's available as I say on Patreon if you want to find out more Sound on the episode is by Kate Dunley and with all that said let's begin I pick up the story here after I've driven out to Dunhill.
I've just arrived at Dunhill Castle. It's an absolutely stunning day here. You can probably hear the birds chirping away in the background. Now to explain roughly where I am in the country, I left Waterford City about 25 minutes ago. I would have driven about 18 kilometers southwest of the city into the Anne Valley. That's where the castle is located. But to give you some specific sense of the landscape I'm walking through right now, the castle is actually perched on top of this really amazing feature in the local landscape. It's this rocky outcrop that has these commanding views of this beautiful valley and then the castle is perched right on top of that. It's pretty picturesque today, if a little desolate. The castle is a complete ruin, it's covered in ivy, but you can see it from miles around because it sits on top of this rocky outcrop. Now, I had to park at the southern side of the rocky outcrop below the castle, and there's no way you could climb up on that side. The, the, the rock faces there are they're covered in trees, but they're also really steep. So what I have to do is walk around to the northern side, and then the incline there is a little more gradual. So while I do that, I'm just going to explain a little bit of the history of Dunhill before we move on to that story about Cromwell, because the story of the family who owned this uh, helps set the scene. So Dunhill Castle was owned by the Lapuere or Power family, and they came to Ireland as part of the Anglo-Norman invasion of the 1170s and the 1180s. They came to Ireland at that time. They captured a whole swathe of territory in Waterford, Tipperary and Kilkenny, taking it from the native Gaelic Irish. However, if we move the story on to the 16th century, and this is 500 years later, the political situation is very, very different. So back at the time of the Norman conquest, you had obviously huge tensions between the native Gaelic Irish and Norman families, like the powers who built Dunhill Castle, because obviously these Normans were taking land away from the Gaelic Irish. By the 1640s, and for the decades before that, the situation, as I say, was very, very different. So 500 years had passed, and those Anglo-Norman families who had come to Ireland as colonizers and settlers had very much become part and parcel of Irish society. They had lived here for 500 years. They had nowhere to go in terms of returning home. So they were very much Irish in many respects. Now, politically, they would have had a complex identity because they maintained political allegiance to the kings of England. But on a day-to-day -day basis, many of these people would have been Irish in, in all respects, in that they would have spoken Irish, some of them would have dressed in Irish customs. So you can see how they have this complex identity. But also what's really crucial in the 17th century, that's when Cromwell comes, these people, like the powers who live in Dunhill Castle, were Catholics. So at the time of the Norman invasion, everyone had been a Catholic effectively. But in the intervening centuries, you had the Reformation. And while the Kingdom of England and most people in England became Protestants, nearly the entire population of Ireland remained Catholic. And this created this huge division between the two countries. But that division starts to seep into Irish society by the 17th century. And this happens because a third group starts to come to Ireland from about the 1560s onwards. So the first two groups, I should say, are the native Gaelic Irish. They form the largest number of people on the island. Then you have the descendants of the Anglo-Norman colonists, families like the Powers, who built Dunhill Castle, which I'm walking up towards now. And then you have this third group, and they're called the New English. 
And the reason they're called the New English is because they're recent arrivals. And from the 1560s onwards, the English government at the time started to organise these big plantations in Ireland. The first one is in Leishanophily in, in the 1560s. Then you have the plantation of Munster in the 1580s. And then eventually the plantation of Ulster in the 1600s. And these are extremely violent affairs. And what happens is the native Gaelic Irish largely, some old English families, have their lands stripped away from them and they're given to these new settlers who come in from England. Now, while that process is naturally going to lead to tensions, those tensions are infused with extra bitterness because there's a sectarian dimension to them in that a lot of the new settlers, all the new settlers effectively, are Protestants coming in from England to a country that's largely Catholic. And in the 17th century, religion is a key part of one's identity, I think in a way that we find very difficult to understand today. Now, all this matters in terms of the story of Cromwell because those tensions in Irish society between those groups play a part of the background to the Cromwellian invasion. And I'll explain why exactly he came in a, in a few minutes, but I suppose we'll bring the story on into the 1640s. And the 1640s in Ireland is probably I think it's fair to say the most violent decade in our history. And it starts off with something called the 1641 Rebellion, which largely begins in Ulster. And it's a rebellion which targets these new colonists. The reasons for the rebellion are quite complex. Obviously, it's motivated by many of these native Gaelic Irish who are increasingly frozen out of the economy. They've had their lands taken from them and they rise up in rebellion. But that rebellion unquestionably has a sectarian dimension to us. And they rise up in rebellion and thousands of settlers in Ulster are killed in the winter of 1641 as part of that rebellion. Now, while that in itself obviously is an atrocity, that becomes blown way out of proportion as the stories of that rebellion spread to England. So you have these reports in England that tens of thousands of settlers have been killed in Ireland. And that increases anti-Catholic sentiments in Britain at the time in the 1640s. People are increasingly fearful and despise Catholics and particularly Irish Catholics because of these stories that have spread from Ireland. Now that's a bit of the background of the story. I'm going to stop there because I've just reached the castle and I want to actually describe the castle to you because this castle is where a lot of the events I'm going to talk about play out and they'll help you understand why Oliver Cromwell is such a reviled figure in Ireland even into the present day. To get up to the castle, as I mentioned at the start, I had to follow this path that kind of runs around the rocky outcrop. And now I'm standing right underneath the tower looking up at it. Just going to give you a, a picture of what I'm looking at here. So it's a tower house. I've mentioned them on the podcast before. They take the shape, as the name suggests, of a tower. You've got these rooms built one on top of the other. Originally, they would have been built as a military structure, narrow windows, controlled entrances to make sure that no one can attack. And obviously then built up here on this rocky outcrop. Now, I'm going to start making my way up towards what would have been the entrance, I guess, to the castle. It might have been a window. It's a complete ruin, I should say, today, so it's hard to make out some of the features. The curtain wall, that's a wall that would have surrounded the tower. It's nearly all but gone today, and it has this very desolate appearance because of these huge holes in the side of the castle. 
and actually I'm, there's a, I guess three floors on it today, but on one side, a lot of those have fallen away. Um, I'm gonna make my way up to the tower and I'm gonna climb in through what was either, I don't know whether it was a door or a window, but anyway, I'm gonna climb in to the ground floor and just maybe talk a little bit more about the castle before we move on to the story of Cromwell's arrival to this part of the world. You'll probably hear my voice change a little bit because now I've come into the ground floor and then the floor above is actually missing, but you can see where it would have been. You can also hear quite a loud bird that has made this castle its home. And I'm gonna just stand back out because I think that bird could be quite off-putting. But the views from up here are really spectacular. And you can see how the power family would have dominated this landscape purely by having this castle here. That would all change though in the 1640s. What's left of this castle encapsulates what happened across the island. And that was the most horrific decade of violence that begins in 1641. Now, a few minutes ago, I spoke about the start of that decade in 1641 with that rebellion. And there were thousands of Protestant settlers killed in the winter of 1641. That news spread across the sea to England. And by the time it got there, that had been exaggerated with stories of tens of thousands of settlers being killed, that they were killed by Catholics. And obviously there was, a, there was a sectarian dimension to it in terms of the targeting. But I think what's important to understand is that the reports by the time they reached England were blown out of all proportion. So there was this massive rise in anti-Catholic sentiment in England. Events in England though would amplify this massively because the 1640s is a decade of civil war in England and actually leads to the rise of Oliver Cromwell. So the first English civil war breaks out in 1642. I'm not going to go into the details of it, but it's fought between Parliament on one side and the King, Charles I, on the other. Parliament win the first civil war and it's followed very quickly by a second civil war. And at the end of the Second Civil War, which Parliament win again, Parliament takes really decisive action this time. They put the King, Charles I, on trial. He's found guilty. They actually execute the King in 1649, and then they abolish the monarchy and establish a republic. These are incredibly radical moves in the 17th century when they take place. But it's at this time when this ends, basically, that decade of civil war in England. And with Parliament firmly in control, they now can turn their gaze towards Ireland because Ireland had largely, for very complex reasons by 1649, essentially were on the royalist side of the English civil war supporting the King. That's a massive oversimplification, but you have this very loose alliance of the Gaelic Irish uh, and those old English families. And they're largely, united although there are and it there are some protestants in this alliance as well but i it's it's a very complex story but in 1649 after they execute the king the parliament who have won the civil war decide they're going to turn towards ireland and resolve issues on the island for once and for all now the reasons they do this are very complex but first of all it's worth bearing in mind that this parliament is dominated and controlled by protestants who have been i suppose their attitudes towards ireland have been radicalized by those reports of the 1641 rebellion secondly they had long had this there was a long held racism towards ireland in england at the time 
but also Parliament had a big problem of their own that they needed to solve. And this was how they were going to pay their armies. They had been at war for seven years and they decided that an invasion of Ireland where they could confiscate huge amounts of Irish land from people who they considered disloyal, that that would allow them then give this land to their soldiers. And that leads to the dispatching of an army to Ireland. This happens very quickly after the execution of the king in 1649. By March, a man who had risen through the ranks of the parliamentary army through the civil war, that Oliver Cromwell is appointed commander-in-chief, and by August, the army sets sail. There is a brief, I suppose, threatened mutiny of the army before it embarks for Ireland, but by August, the army has left England and arrives in Dublin. And very quickly, Oliver Cromwell, at the command of this army, makes it very clear that what's going to happen is very different from anything else that has happened in Ireland. They march north out of Dublin, first of all, to the port of Drogheda, where they, and they lay siege to the port. On September the 11th, 1649, they capture the port and they put huge numbers of people to death in the port. That's the garrison, but also clerics in the town. And this lays down a marker for Irish society that this war that Cromwell is about to unleash on the Irish population is going to be unlike any of the previous wars that people could remember. It was like There's basically nothing like this in Irish history. Maybe you'd have to go back to the invasion of Edward Bruce in 1315, but that's way, way back. Cromwell then, after taking Drogheda, marches down the east coast of Ireland to the port of Wexford. And what he's doing in this is taking these strategic locations. He has Dublin, he takes Drogheda, then he marches down to take the strategically important port of Wexford. There's another siege there, and around October the 11th, so a month after taking Drogheda, he takes the port of Wexford, and again, massacres ensue there. And people across Ireland are getting very worried. Don't forget that this army that Cromwell has brought with them they're battle-hardened after seven years of war in England and they are, I suppose in many ways, hardened soldiers and they start to carry out numerous atrocities. Cromwell has, uh, it's, it's in his letters, is absolutely unrepentant about this. He views Irish Catholics as people who have sinned against God and they brought this wrath down on themselves. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. After Wexford, Cromwell 
then moves to the port of Waterford. And you might remember at the very start of the show, that's where I began, that's where I live, and I, I, I drove out from Waterford. So he's getting very close to Dunhill Castle here. The uh, power family who live in the castle and own the castle, it's worth bearing in mind, they're Catholics, so they're going to get a very short shrift from this army. But what happens at Waterford is a bit different. So Cromwell encircles Waterford in a siege in late November 1649, but this is the first place he fails to conquer. The walls of Waterford hold out now. Cromwell's army around the, the city are devastated by disease. They need winter quarters. They're not going to find them outside Waterford. And a decision is made in early December that they're going to lift the siege of Waterford. They'll come back year, um, later in 1650 uh, and try and besiege the city again. But in, in December 18, 1649, they decide they're going to lift the siege and they march westward through Waterford towards the port of Dungarvan, where they're going to set up winter quarters to get them through that winter of 1649 to 1650. Now that brings this Cromwellian army through this part of the country where I am right now. Now you can only imagine the fear that people must have had at this point. The reputation of the massacres at Drogheda and at Wexford preceded this army. Now, they would take Kilmeden Castle and then they would uh, come here to Dunhill Castle. Now, to finish the story uh, of Cromwell and tell you about what happened not only here at Dunhill, but also in wider Irish society, I'm going to climb into the ruins of the third floor of the castle and that's up a set of stairs that is collapsed in most parts but you can make your way up and as I go up here you might be able to hear the wind because as you scale this castle you really get a sense of the ruins and that's partly related to the story I'm about to tell you and what happened after Cromwell's soldiers arrived here. So I arrived to the top of the castle you might be able to hear it's a bit windier up here the views are absolutely stunning. They really stand in contrast to the story I'm about to tell you. So this castle, by, you know, compared to cities or even some other castles in Ireland, it's a fairly small place. And when the Cromwellian army come here and they start taking up position around the castle, I don't think anyone could have hoped that the power family would hold out against them. And it's no plot spoiler, they didn't. The powers would lose control of Dunhill Castle. There's no details of the siege. Now in local folklore, and this seems to originate from a pretty early point, but in local folklore, it's said that the defense of the castle was actually led by Jill Power. That's the daughter of John Power who owned the castle, but he wasn't here. So the defense of the castle fell to Jill and she led this really tenacious defense of the castle. And it was only after, I suppose, subterfuge that the Cromwellians got in, apparently what happens, according to folklore, is that one of the gunners inside the castle asked Jill for more wine. She gives him buttermilk. Big contrast between wine and buttermilk. And in anger, I suppose, this gunner apparently let the Cromwellians in. Now, according to folklore, he's actually hanged as a traitor by the Cromwellians anyway. But, you know, that's folklore. But what I think it is capturing is a sense of this event that happened here. The castle was taken by the Cromwellians and after that it falls out of use as far as we know. Now the castle today is a complete ruin and what that probably indicates is that the Cromwellians carried out this thing 
called slighting the castle. And that means that the castle was intentionally destroyed and made unusable because don't forget, this is happening as the Cromwellian forces are moving through Waterford. They're going to try and get winter quarters at the port of Dungarvan, which is further west from here. They don't want, obviously, the powers or anyone else to occupy this strategically very advantageous uh, castle perched on this rocky outcrop. So what they do is they destroy it. Oftentimes what they did in those cases is they would pull down the staircases, they might demolish some of the walls, they'll burn maybe parts of the castle. But while this castle today stands as a memorial, I suppose, to those dark days, I think it also stands as a reminder of this much, much broader process that happened in Ireland. Cromwell himself would actually leave Ireland in 1650, not long after Dunhill Castle would have fallen to his troops. But the campaign of the Cromwellian forces would carry on for years. It takes longer than they anticipate. There's very staunch resistance, partly because of their own policies. They have this absolutely unforgiving attitude where they're executing large numbers of people. But eventually they do defeat all opposition. And what I want to do is read two quotes to you by the historian Michal O. Shokru, who's written a book called, called God's Executioner. And I think that encapsulates a lot of what happened here because it really symbolises that broader process of what happened, not only here, but also across Ireland. So the first quote from that book, God's Executioner, reveals the catastrophic death toll. And it says... In the four years following Cromwell's invasion in 1649, Ireland suffered a demographic catastrophe with mortality somewhere in the region of 20% due to a combination of fighting, famine and disease. This compares to an estimated 3% population loss in England during the civil wars of the 1640s. Many towns and villages lay in ruins and in some cases totally deserted, while the systematic destruction of the agricultural system in areas of enemy activity meant that essential foodstuffs, including cattle, now had to be imported. Defeated, exhausted and defenceless, the Catholic Irish faced an uncertain future at the hands of an unforgiving and rapacious parliamentary regime. That figure of 20% is absolutely astonishing. That puts the Cromwellian invasion on a par with the Great Hunger. And in many ways, I think that starts to get at the reasons why Cromwell is so reviled, even though he died nearly 400 years ago. Because the scale of death alone is enormous. 20% of the population killed in the space of a few years. But also there's an even bigger process happening. And that's touched on there in that quote where it talks about deserted villages and towns. And what's happening in the aftermath of the Cromwellian invasion is that a whole society has been swept aside. There are new towns being built, but you know, Catholic Irish are not necessarily welcome in them. They may work there, but they're very much the outsiders in their own country. And in many ways, Dunhill Castle, for me, I suppose, encapsulates a lot of that change. I'm standing on the top of the castle here looking out over the landscape. This was once the centre of the local economy and society. Today, it's a complete ruin. And in many ways, it's like one of those abandoned villages in the west of Ireland that date from the Great Hunger, where people in the aftermath or during the Great Hunger left their homes, maybe emigrated, maybe they died. But this, in many ways, is a testimony to another catastrophic event in Irish history. And I think it does start to maybe explain 
why Cromwell is still remembered in Irish history. Now, I do have one other quote that I want to read to you from that book that I think helps convey the catastrophic nature of the 1640s and the 1650s in Ireland. The quote begins, Protestants emerged as the clear victors from the wars of the mid-17th century, with Catholics left in possession of only one-fifth of the land total, a huge reduction from the 60% they owned prior to the 1641 rebellion. This represents the largest single shift in land ownership anywhere in Europe during the early modern period and proved to be Cromwell's lasting legacy in Ireland. Now, this was followed by something called the Protestant Ascendancy that would last in Ireland for centuries where Protestants, even though they formed a 20% of the Irish population, dominated the economy and wider society. And that infused a lasting bitterness in Ireland and it stems from Cromwell's invasion. There's no question there had been others who had carried out horrific acts of violence and wars in Ireland in the previous centuries and arguably even since then. But Cromwell's war was not just about death toll, it's about the huge changes that it wrought on Irish society. Now I hope by coming here to Dunhill Castle that I've helped to convey what this site is like and why it encapsulates the horrors that were the 1640s and the 1650s in Ireland. That's where I'm going to leave the show folks. Don't forget I've just launched that tour of Waterford. You can find out more in the link in the show notes below. Also, if you want to find a video of Dunhill Castle here, I've made a video for supporters that's available on Patreon that you can become a supporter today at patreon.com forward slash Irish podcast. But that's it for today's show, folks. Until next time, Sloan. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.